and you're grateful for the music that uh, this all-volunteer team provided for us. Why don't you join me in giving them a hand to thank them this morning for their work. God did not give me the gift of singing, but I like to hear it, and I'm grateful for what they have done for us today. I want to say two things as we get started this morning. First of all, I want to say that I believe uh, Resurrection Sunday, Easter, is the greatest Sunday of the year for Christians. I mean, it's the day we've set aside to really emphasize the fact that Jesus Christ literally, physically, bodily rose again from the dead. He defeated sin, hell, death, the grave. It's a great Sunday for people of faith to gather together and honor that which Jesus has done. And there's no greater symbol, really, of, of the victorious Savior than the empty tomb. And I know there are a lot of religious symbols. I like the story of the grade, age, uh, the grade school age children who uh, came into school and they were doing show and tell. And the teacher told them to bring something that would be a demonstration of their faith. And the first little boy walked up there and he said, I'm Benjamin, I'm Jewish. And he said, and this is the Star of David. And they understood they could associate the Star of David with with uh, those who, who follow Judaism. And the next little girl came up and she said, I'm Mary, I am Roman Catholic, and this is a crucifix. And then finally a little boy came up and, and uh, he came up there and he said, Hi, I'm Johnny, I'm a Baptist, and this is a casserole. Okay, I think <laughs> Baptists are kind of known for potlucks and passing a plate. And I, I'm all for, for potlucks and barbecues, don't get me wrong. But, but there are some symbols that are of greater value than others. And the empty tomb is is what it's all about. And so I really believe Easter Sunday is the greatest Sunday of the year for Christians. The second thing I want to say today as we get started is this. I believe Easter Sunday is the greatest Sunday of the year for those who are not Christians. Because what better Sunday is there to come to understand what it's all about and who Jesus is and, and what he has done. And, and really, I believe this Sunday has the capacity, if you're here today and you don't yet know in your heart that, that Jesus is your personal Savior, maybe today will be the day when you'll come to understand what the big deal is and it can become very personal to you. And in fact, at the end of our service today, we're going to take some time and, and I'm going to share with you what, what the Bible has to say in terms of how we can, can come to know that. And I think this is a great, great day for for many reasons. Another reason is we're going to begin a new teaching series. Now this morning with all the music, I'm not going to have a lot of time and you're probably glad for that. You have eggs to go find and other important things to do, okay? But uh, we're going to get started and really we're going to develop it more in the weeks to come. A new teaching series called Core and we're going to talk about those central themes that Jesus called us to. What if Jesus really rose again from the dead, what does that compel us to do? What does he call us to? And, and we're going to be looking at those things and, and I want to encourage you to be a part of our services next Sunday. And uh, we're going to have church again next Sunday, and, and we'll talk more about that even later uh, in the service. You see, at the very center of the core of our beliefs is the resurrection. It really is the centerpiece. It's the foundation. It's, it's what it's all about. It's central to every truth in the Bible. If you remove the resurrection of Jesus Christ, really the Bible is no longer of any value at all. In fact, the Apostle Paul made this statement. And if you have your Bibles today, you can turn them, if you'd like to, to the book of Romans, chapter 10. I'm going to get there in a moment. I'll look to a few verses on our way there, and they'll be on the screens to help us move a little more quickly today. But the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 14, he said this. He said, if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. In other words, Paul said this. He said, listen, if Jesus didn't really raise from the dead, then 
I'm wasting your time preaching because my preaching's empty, it's vain. And, and really, if you have any faith in what's being said, your faith is empty, it is vain. And he went on to say this a few verses later. He said, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. If you believe Jesus rose again from the dead and you're a follower of, of, of the Bible, there are sometimes things God tells us not to do and other things he tells us to do. And, and Paul is saying, look, if there, if there is no resurrection, Christians are very miserable people because they try to do things like keep their wedding vows and don't steal from others and don't punch everybody in the nose you feel like punching. And there's a little restraint that goes on in life. And, and Paul is saying, look, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, we have no way of knowing God. Just live it up. Do what you want. In fact, he even takes it a step further. In 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 32, he said this, if the dead rise not, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. He said, if this is all there is to it, if there is no resurrection, party hardy, man, live it up for we're all going to die. And he might as well have as much fun in between now and then as possible. But friends, the Bible clearly states that Jesus did literally, physically, bodily raise again from the dead. He did. That's what Easter Sunday is all about. And, and, uh, and, and so the Bible uh, tells us that. And oftentimes people will say, well, how do you know that Jesus rose again from the dead? And the pat answer that's often given, and I've given it myself, is I'll say, well, the Bible says so. The Bible says so. Now, I want to be careful. I believe the Bible is God's word. I believe it's God inspired. And I'm thankful for the word of God. But when we say the Bible says so, we have to acknowledge something. The Bible doesn't actually speak. It's a book. It doesn't say anything. Really, the Bible is a, is a collection. It's God's word. We've covered that. But it's a collection in the New Testament of eyewitness accounts of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so when we, when we say the Bible says so, really, we, we might do well to say it's not just what one book has to say. It's what many authors who personally saw the resurrected Savior had to say. These were people whose lives were changed by Jesus, and they went on investing their lives, many of them dying the death of a martyr. Why? Not just for what they believed, but because of what they saw. And you don't die for something that you truly believe in, unless you believe in that with all your heart. And acknowledge that there is a resurrection. In other words, the followers of Jesus Christ, they did not live the lives and ultimately die the death by way of a martyr's death that they would have if they didn't believe Jesus truly rose again from the dead. So who gave us our New Testament? If we were to open our Bibles today and start in the very beginning of the New Testament, we'd find the first four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Each of those men wrote a gospel, an eyewitness accounting of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. What do we know about them? Well, we know Matthew was a tax collector. He was an interesting man. We know Mark. He was a Greek. He had a, a different perspective, a, a different culture from which to look at things and evaluate things. We think of Luke. He was a medical doctor. We think of John. He was the first to the empty tomb, by the way, and he too was a businessman. And, and, and these are people that observed Jesus' life. They, they watched him personally, and they saw him when he rose from the dead. We were to further make our way in the New Testament, we'd come to the writings of the Apostle Peter. Peter, too, was a businessman, and he was the first actually to enter into the tomb. He and John were in a foot race, and John beat him there, but he couldn't go in, and Peter went in and looked around, and, and this is a man that, that literally gave his life. He, too, like Christ, was crucified for his faith. He, rather, was crucified upside down. And uh, if we were to turn a little further in the New Testament, we find uh, more books. And one is written by James, the brother of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, how many of you had a brother growing up? Let me ask you, what would your brother have to do to prove to you he's God? 
All right? That's what Jesus did. He rose again from the dead. James was thinking all along, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. James wasn't what you'd call a man of faith prior to observing his brother physically, bodily, raised from the dead. When he saw the resurrected Savior, it changed everything from James, for James. And, and, and he believed. And then the most prolific writer in all the New Testament was a man by the name of Paul. Uh, this was a man that was a brilliant man. He was trained in maybe the parallel in our culture would be as an attorney. Uh, this was a man of power and influence, but he hated Christians. In fact, he persecuted Christians, and it wasn't until he personally saw the resurrected Savior that, that his life was radically transformed, and, and, and God used him to write the better part of the New Testament. He was an amazing man. He, he uh, wrote much of the New Testament, but specifically in the book of Romans. He shared with us how we can know that we can have a personal relationship with God. He wanted us to know this. And, and he spelled it out. And, and as he taught in this book of the Bible, he helps us to see how central to this all the resurrection is. And, and in the book of Romans, chapter 10 and verse 9, if you have your Bibles there, the Bible says this, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So Paul says, Here's, here, here it is, if you want to know that you're saved spiritually, we'll talk more about that, he said, you've got to believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, that God raised the Son back to life. He was saying that spiritual salvation gives us a relationship with God that lasts forever, and our understanding of and belief in the resurrection is central to that. And so to help us understand, he wrote in Romans what it's all about and where it all begins, and we would never understand the value of a Savior if we did not understand that we needed to be saved. And so as Paul's writing the book, we won't read the whole book today, of course, for sake of time, but if we were to go back more near the beginning, we'll go backwards and work our way right back to where we started. In Romans chapter 3, for example, in verse 10 as the Apostle Paul was writing. He said this, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. He said there's nobody that does right all of the time. There's nobody that's perfect. There's nobody who can say, I've never one time made a mistake or even willfully just done the wrong thing. We, we know that all of us have done that which is wrong. In Romans 3.23, he added to that. He said, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, the word sin is a word that just means to miss the mark. And the Bible says all of us fall short. If the mark is God's measure of perfection, God's measure of holiness, all of us in our lives, we can shoot towards that target, but we're all going to fall just a little bit short because none of us are perfect. And Paul begins to lay this foundation by saying we don't do right all the time. We're, we're what he calls here sinners. And, and uh, I, I think most of us understand that. I, I read a story just this week about Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, and he was the writer of Sherlock Holmes, you know, and... He liked to tell a story. I don't know if he ever really did this, but they do say the story was told that to pull a prank on some friends, he, he sent a telegram to eight very influential, prominent leaders in London, England. And, and as he sent this telegram out to eight of his friends, it consisted of just seven words. And the telegram said this, all is found out, flee at once. That's what it said. Now, I meant it as a joke, but he said within 24 hours, each of those men fled for the country, okay? I think all of us know in our heart, I'm not completely right. Everything is not as it should be. I think most of us are aware of that, aware of the need. You see, if, if my life were likened into a closet, and we sometimes say that, if God were to look in the closet of my life, he'd see a few successes. He'd see some failures. 
He'd see the skeletons are in there that I'd rather not share with you and you'd rather not share yours with me. He sees right through me and you. And he knows who we are and he knows what we are and he understands that, that we're not perfect. And that really presents a problem because a perfect God can't allow people like us into his presence because we'd mess everything up. It would just no longer be be perfect. Just think about it with me, if you would. For thousands of years, we've seen developments. And, and in Western civilization, we've really made some great developments. And in recent times, especially, we really have the capacity now to make some great door locks and window locks and home alarm systems. This, this is our advancement. While in jungles, people sleep in, in uh, huts without even a door on them. And, and, and our advancement many times is in our security and ability to fight. And just imagine if we took that culture, that mindset into the presence of God. It just, it would no longer be perfect and so we've got a real problem here with God as Paul went on he began to share in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 this thought the Bible says for the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord now I think most of us understand what death is physical death is just simply separation from the body the real you is, is still around when the body uh, dies. We understand it's separation. Well, Paul here was talking about spiritual death. And spiritual death is not separation from the body like physical death. It's separation from God. Now, I'd rather not even mention this. You'd probably rather not even hear what I'm getting ready to say. But frankly, Jesus talked way more about spiritual death than what happens if you have spiritual life. The Bible says that if we, if we suffer spiritual death, separation from God, that that's going to take place forever in a place, the awful place. I don't even want to talk about it's the place the Bible calls hell. And friends, I don't know how to tell it to you any different. We can choose to believe or not to believe, but we really can't erase that part of the Bible. God was very, very clear that, that to be absent from the body for the believers to be present with Him, but to be absent from the body for, for those that don't have a relationship with God, it's to be spiritually dead, separated in that horrible place. The wages of sin, the Bible says, is death. God could have left us in that condition, but He didn't do it because He's a loving God and He's a gracious God and and as Paul continued writing in Romans 5, 8, he said this, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I love it. God gave his love to us, even though we were sinners. He loves us as we are. Now, let's review. What have we learned? Well, we learned we're all sinners today. That's an encouraging thought, isn't it? We're all sinners today. There's a penalty to be paid for sin, the wages of sin. The penalty for sin is spiritual death. We understand that. But, but thankfully, we're coming to understand that even though we're sinners, God still loves us. He's given his love to us. And as we read a moment ago in the end of Romans 6 and verse 23, the Bible tells us that God has, has extended to us the gift of eternal life. And that's, that's kind of where we are to bring us up to speed. Now, we read as we got started in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9. If you want to look down just one verse in your Bibles, if we were to look at verse 10 in that chapter, the Bible says this, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. What is happening there? The Bible says we believe in our heart. We confess with our mouth. Salvation is not just praying a prayer or saying some saying, reading something that someone has written. It's, it's a really a matter of the heart, a, a faith in our heart. And so why is the resurrection the center of it all? It's the centerpiece because Jesus cannot save anybody if he could not save himself from the cross. 
He didn't die for his own sins, but for ours. But if he didn't come back to life, really, his sacrifice would have only covered him, not us. I heard a story of a man who was living in Africa, and, and he came to know Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior, and it changed his life. And he had been a follower of a man who claimed to be a prophet who lived in the 500s, and that really was the prominent influence in, in his community. And, and a friend approached him and said, why did you become a Christian? And he said, well, it's like this. Imagine if I were walking down a path. And as I was walking down the path, I came to a fork. And, and there were two men there who could tell me which way to go. But only one of those two men was alive. Which one would you follow? And friends, really, this is the distinction that sets Jesus Christ from all the others who would have a religion originate from them. Jesus is alive. He rose again. He called a shot. He is living today. One of the great experiences of my life a few years ago, Lisa and I had the opportunity to go to Israel and see the sights. And of course, it's, it was just as surreal as it could be. You know, we kind of read these things. We kind of forget. I mean, you can still go to these places and see a lot of the very things we read about. And, and while I was there, I spent a day. It was really an exhausting day in many ways. I began in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus sweat, as it were, the Bible says, great drops of blood the agony of that place. I walked up the steps. I mean, the steps from the first century, they're still there that lead up to the house of Caiaphas, the, the high priest. And then we made our way over to Golgotha, the place of the skull where Jesus was crucified. And I mean, that hill, it looks just like a skull looking at it. And then at the end of this emotionally draining day, thinking of all that Jesus had done, we finished it up at the garden tomb, the place where they believed Jesus' body was laid. And there it is. I mean, there's, there's the tomb. And guys, I have to tell you something. I look in there, he's not there. He's alive. This changes everything. Jesus Christ, God the Son, rose from the dead. Paul did not tell his original readers to believe that there is a Jesus. He didn't tell these original readers to believe that Jesus existed. That would be as absurd as you saying, you have, to, you have to believe that I'm here in front of you. Of course I'm here in front of you. You can see me. Most of you know me. And, and, and Jesus was known in that day. He, he would have been seen by many, by thousands. And, and, and Paul said, look, it's not just about acknowledging there is a Jesus. You have to personally believe it in your heart and confess it from your mouth that God hath raised him from the dead it all hinges on the resurrection the resurrection it's interesting we often separate jesus into two categories i think many people today would say well jesus was a very very good man he, he was a great communicator i mean the golden rule that comes from jesus he said so many good things and and he was a great humanitarian he he helped the sick and and he helped the poor he fed the hungry many could say that jesus was a pioneer in the civil rights movement because the way jesus treated women and children was was on par with that of men and that was revolutionary in the day and age in which jesus lived i think anybody with an honest mindset could evaluate the life of christ and say he was quite a man he was a a, a great man he was a good man but friends i want you to know something and I, I if this is all you take with you today i want you to understand this if jesus did not rise again from the dead he was not a good man or a kind man or a great man he was a horrible man he was a con man extraordinaire he was a charlatan he would have scammed everybody because jesus lived his whole life telling us that he's god the son he lived his life telling us he was going to die on a cross and be buried in a tomb for three days he lived his life telling us that he was going to raise again from the dead and if jesus christ god the son did not rise from the dead he was either a 
lunatic out of his mind. He was a liar tricking people. But if he did rise again, friends, he's the Lord of all. And that, that's a game changer. That makes a difference. That should compel us, call us to something. Now, I wouldn't take my word on this. But we have the word of eyewitnesses who lived and died propagating the fact that a relationship with God only comes by way of our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's not enough to say he's a good man. We have to understand, when Jesus told us he is the way and the truth and the life and no man comes to the Father but by him, he was emphasizing, I'm the way, the one and and only way Jesus Christ came for us. So Paul tells us in Romans 10, 9, if thou shalt confess, confess with thy mouth and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You see, we don't receive a relationship with God through our good works or through church membership or getting baptized or giving an offering or anything. In fact, Paul in Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, he wrote this letter to Titus. He said, Titus, it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but it's by his mercy he saved us, by the washing of of regeneration. And he's making the point there. It's not by keeping some list of commands, a list of do's and don'ts. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done. It's by his mercy. We simply have to believe in our heart, confessing that. And the Bible says we can know that we have a relationship with God that lasts forever. Now, when we started today, I, I told you we were going to take some time to help those who, who aren't certain of, of their standing with God, if they have that relationship with God, to, to know how that can be done and to know the forgiveness of sins and the assurance of, of a home in heaven. And Paul said, confess with thy mouth and believe in thine heart. I like the way he said that. He, he was kind of helping us all understand what we already know. Sometimes talk can be a little cheap. It's possible to say things that we don't entirely understand or, or maybe hold to personally completely. And so Paul said, look, you, you need to understand if, if you want to be saved, it boils down to this matter of the resurrection. Do you really believe Jesus Christ is God the Son, that he wasn't dying for his own sins but for ours? He lived, he died, he buried, he rose again. It focuses on that victorious conclusion there. He, he was saying, do you believe that? He said, great, if you believe it in your heart, you can pray, you can confess with your mouth and ask God to save you. In fact, a few verses later in Romans chapter 10 and verse 13, Paul said it this way. He said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So how do we know that we have a relationship with God that brings the forgiveness of sins, his presence in our life, and and the joy of knowing we have an eternity secure in heaven. How, how does this happen? Confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart that God hath raised him. You see, that was the defining issue. That's what separates Jesus from the others. That's where we see his deity. Jesus is God the Son. Confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead. And thou shalt be saved from the penalty of our sins. And saved unto an eternal relationship with God. Eternal, it lasts forever. Now, if you're here today and you'd say, listen, you started the service by saying it's the best day of the year for Christians and the best day of the year for non-Christians. If you're here today and you know, you know you're a Christian, we never get tired of this story because it's our story too. What Jesus did on the cross, it wasn't all about him. It was because for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We love it. And if you're here today and you don't know in your heart for certainty 
If you were to die, you'd spend eternity in heaven. I want you to know this can be the greatest day of the year for you as well. And if you have not personally had a time in your life where you prayed to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, or maybe the words came out by the heart, you didn't understand exactly, uh, we're going to close today and we're going to have a prayer. And, and I'm just going to invite you. I can't think of a better way to end the Easter service than to close in a prayer like this. And, and if you'd like to pray today to uh, accept Jesus Christ, I've, I've shared many verses. I've tried to back out of this message and put the spotlight on the truth of Jesus Christ and on the gospel message. And this is what the Bible says. Teaches. And if you want to trust the Lord and pray that prayer today, I'll invite you to do so. You can do so at your seat. Why don't we all just bow our heads together? And uh, in, in, in a moment, I'll, I'll pray and I'll just say a few words and pause. And that way, if you'd like to pray along, you may. Again, it's not just confessing with the mouth. It's believing in the heart. And if you'd like to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior today, I, I'd invite you to pray and trust Him. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner and that I deserve to pay for my sins. Please forgive me of my sins and give me a home in heaven when I die. Help me to live for you and to follow you with my life. Thank you for loving and accepting me. In Jesus' name. Our heads.